Judges 16 tonight, Judges chapter number 16. Glad you're here. Great Monday night crowd and great spirit of anticipation. Choir was outstanding. I love the music. I love the spirit. I love the. I love watching the choir sing. I love the just the uh, all-in uh, participation of the choir. No holding back. That's the way it ought to be, uh, because you're communicating not just with the sound. You're not communicating just with the message of the words. You're communicating by your participation in the singing of it. And I sure love that and thank the Lord for uh, the, the uh, ministry here, just all around, just the heart. And you understand, if you're enjoying any aspect of Calvary Baptist Church, it's not automatic. Um, this, this doesn't happen just automatically, nor does it happen accidentally. It's just not just, and how did all this happen? Uh, in order for there to be an atmosphere of experiencing God, and by the way, revival is not an event. It's an experience. And in order to experience God, there has to be a culture, an atmosphere for that. And that's what your pastor's cultivated. That's what he works with the staff to, to get a hold of. And, and there are always things in the nitty-gritty and even the mundane things that are done from day to day. And if we're not careful with this, we'll lose sight of the big picture of what we're doing. And it takes everybody doing their part. Amen. So glad to see the appreciation shown to your pastor last night and, and the men see the fellowship afterwards and, and then watching people just clean. And so many of us were partakers of the, the refreshment, the fellowship, and, and I didn't have to do the cleaning. But somebody had to. There's a lot that goes into these lights coming on and the place being clean and nice and the bathrooms being clean. And so I'm very thankful just to see the spirit of the people willing to work and not miss the big picture. All is vain unless the Holy One of God comes down. And we're looking for God. And, and it's been said that a church that is prepared for revival is already in it. Because you meet God's requirements, God says, you take it to the bank, I'm going to do my part. You know, sometimes it may not be a gully washer. Sometimes it's a gully washer. Sometimes there's just no missing, even lost people see, you know, God, God stepped in and did something. But sometimes it's just a slow tide rising. Right. One of the prayers that I pray and we try to get our men to pray especially is, Lord, would you go deeper? Go deeper. Go deeper in my life and widen the circle so that more can get in on it. We want God to go deeper. You say, I'm as right with God as I know to be. There's been a preparation for reviving the experiencing of God's presence. Where else can I go? Pray that God would go deeper and that he'd widen the circle and he'd bring more people into experiencing God with you. Judges 16, let's stand together, please. In Judges 16, we come to the end of Samson's life and name that we're all familiar with. Notice, if you would please, in verse number 17. Let's go to verse 16, Judges 16, verse 16. And it came to pass when she, that's Delilah, pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. We heard Preacher talk about that in Sunday school yesterday being vexed. Verse 17, that he told her all his heart. Let me remind you that the world, the devil, he's not after just your mind. He's after your heart. And when he told her all his heart, that was the final straw. There hath, and by the way, that's what we're preaching for. That's what we're going after. The heart. Protect your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. Sometimes wonder why we're making a big deal about something you don't think it's a big deal. I want to tell you, if it put Jesus on the cross, it's a big deal. And if it's going to take you one step closer to being destroyed, 
Even though you may be a good ways away from that, but if you're a step closer or even looking that direction, it's a big deal. Samson, he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, there's the emphasis again. She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up at once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up, uh, up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man. She caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him, and she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with the fetters of brass, and he did, he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to all for a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson our enemy into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars, and Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, Remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Samson, he was one of the last judges. Judge was one that God had raised up to deliver his people, the nation of Israel. A judge means a deliverer. And this 20-year span of Samson's life was that of delivering God's people because God's people were oftentimes fickle. They had a heart for God. They surrendered to God. And then they went into their own way and leaned into their own understanding. And they find themselves going after enticement and going into sin. And then they went into captivity. And they got tired of, well, when lust hath, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it always results in death or separation from God. And they realize this is not how God made us. We're tired of this. We're sick of this. They cry out to God. And God would use his judge and Deliverer to help deliver his people. Samson was one of the greatest judges, deliverers who ever lived. But Samson was a man who, out of presumption, he even tells us, the Bible tells us that Samson's own thought was, this is not a big deal. I mean, I've, I've handled a thousand soldiers myself. I can handle her, but I want this. And Samson's thought was, I'm just going to go out as I have at other times and just shake myself. I'm just going to shake myself. I'm just going to go through the motions and, and, and it'll be okay. I, I've done it before. I've gotten out of this before. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible to me is, he wished not that the Lord had departed from him. He didn't even know he lost the presence and the power of God in his life. And Samson, such a disgrace. Samson was left without hope. He was the hope for God's people. 
And now here he is with no hope in sight. Dark. Yet God lets us peek behind the curtain for just a little bit longer to see this man Samson, no one could deliver him. No one gave him any hope. God's people were left without hope. And yet we see God step in one more time. I want you to see tonight that you and I are just one decision away from destruction. Or you're one decision away from deliverance. When all of your hope is gone, when you look to God, help is on the way. I want you to see some dynamics tonight with me for Bible deliverance. What God did at the end of Samson's life is what he wants you and I to do throughout our life. So that what Samson experienced at the end of his life, you and I can experience throughout our life. Our God is a delivering God. Thank you. Please be seated. Years ago, an American submarine was accidentally rammed and, and it had sunk, was in need of rescue. Six known survivors were trapped in the forward torpedo room of that submarine. Some rescue divers went to the, that submarine and one placed his helmeted ear against the hull of that submarine looking to, to find if there was any movement or life in there. And they could hear with, through Morse code someone tapping to him. And he, were, he was able to decipher the message being sent from the inside. And one of those six trapped soldiers inside that submarine tapped this message to the rescuer on the outside asking this question, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Unfortunately and sadly for those six military soldiers, there was no hope and all six perished. I think people today are always wondering, is there any hope? People who are hurt and broken and messed up, they're wondering, is there really any hope? Is there any use? And we find Samson, he's experiencing a disgraceful end of his life. I love the, the theme of, of the choir, and, and I love the, the, the message of the, the, the uh, trio that was singing both songs and, and, and just reminding us that, that God isn't done. You and I don't have to, to despair. We don't have to give in to the problem and be overcome. But here the scene is just about as bleak and dark and hopeless as one could imagine. And, and here Samson is experiencing the result of his own doing. He's not going through what Job went through. He's not a man in his integrity that's being tested. No, Satan, uh, Samson is experiencing what he was nibbling at through the bait that Satan was giving him. And he's been buying into it and buying into it. He's been playing around and Samson is experiencing the result of his wrong decisions. And now we find that they, they've taken Samson and he's bound. They take him, they don't just poke at his eyes, they bore into his head and, and they remove his eyes. It's a violent, violent removal. But we find this to be true of sin. Sin is binding, it's blinding, and it's grinding. You can play with sin, but you'll never win. You will never be the first one to do it. You will never be the exception. You can play with sin. Sin is fun. Sin has its thrill, but it also has its season. And you will reap what you sow. 
You can pray all you want to and you can attach God's will to it and say, I've prayed and God has led me and hear me. The Bible says that God can and sometimes will give you your heart's desire and your request, but he'll send leanness unto your soul just because you're making it out to be, and there's nothing wrong with this. It may not look wrong to everybody else, but when you step out of the will of God and you turn your face towards something that is for self and what self wants, and you ignore hallowed be thy name, you're heading into a dangerous territory. And here's Samson. He demonstrates the danger of playing with sin. You know, there are two wrong views, I believe, when it comes to this matter of revival and getting right with God. There's a, there's a crowd and there's a person that says, um, I don't know that I really need this kind of revival. You know, preachers been preaching on revival and getting right and seeking, and, I, and I'm right with God. I don't, really, I don't think I need this meeting. There are some who just feel like, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It might be my brother or my sister, Lord, but it's not me standing in the need of prayer. But those who don't think they need God, that's a dangerous place to be. No, I need thee every hour. Moment by moment. You know, sometimes we begin to think that maybe we might be more conservative than God. You know, God said it, that's true, that's Bible, that's the authority, that's divine authority, but he must not mean that for me. I, I don't know that I, I really, I don't, I don't think I'm that bad. Come on. No, your heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. In fact, James chapter one reminds us of the dangers of listening to Bible preaching. Do you know that you and I in this church, you are susceptible to a, a deception that is extremely dangerous? James chapter one says, if you do not become a doer of that which you hear, you run the risk of being self-deceived. Satanic deception is bad. I believe self-deception might be even worse. That means you can't afford to hear Bible preaching as much as you do and ever make up your mind and, and just hum through them and think, I don't know that I need to respond to this. And so some idiot might say, well, I'm just not going to listen to very much Bible preaching then. Well, then you run the risk of being satanically deceived and he's out to destroy you as well. And so there's a crowd that says, I'm just not that bad. You've prayed. I just don't see anything wrong. David prayed, Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. He didn't say, search me, O David. For at least one year, David didn't see really anything wrong with himself after he had lied, after he had committed adultery, after he had murdered. Oh, yeah, you know, those maybe not the best things I should have done, but he wasn't convinced enough to run to God. And for an entire year, he was out of fellowship with God. Why? Because he wasn't praying, search me, O God. He was still saying, search me, O David. And David was saying, I don't really see what the big deal is. The crowd who says, I don't think I really need this. Let me ask you, when was the last time you've been to an altar? Some of you will more readily come to the altar to pray at the beginning of a service when the preacher says, come and pray for revival, then you do the invitation, something's wrong. Well, if I go forward in the invitation, they'll think I needed it. Well, God didn't need it. Of course we need it. Sometimes people accuse me of just trying to get people to the altar. Oh, he's just doing whatever he can. If I was just trying to get you to an altar, I would preach nicer messages to get you to the altar. I'm not trying to get you. You can sleep here all night. It will not change your life. But humbling yourself before a holy God will change your life. I just don't know that I need it. I'm a guest tonight. Well, guests need God too, and guests will go to hell as well. 
Well, I'm saved. I can't go to hell. But you can live in a wilderness of sin. You sure can. Even as a preacher. Samson. But then there's a crowd that says, and there's a heart that says, I, 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 don't, I don't understand how people think they don't need it. I know I'm a, I'm a mess. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in such a mess. I don't even know where to begin, preacher. I am such in a mess. I'm so far gone. I don't even know if God can help me. There's one crowd that says, I don't know that I need revival. I don't know that I need a plowing up the ground. I don't know that I need to draw near to God because, you know, I, I think, I, I just think, I just think I'm, I'm, I'm almost perfect. I wouldn't quite say that publicly, but I feel pretty good about it. But then there's the other crowd who says, I just think I'm so far gone. I don't think it'd do me any good to set up an appointment with pastor and come in and talk to him about it because I think he'd look at me and say, you're so messed up, there's no hope for you. And there are people who think that all the time. But I want you to know, as long as we have a Bible, and as long as we have a resurrected Lord, and as long as there's the blessed Holy Spirit, then there's always hope for the one who is hungry for God. No matter how far you may think you are gone, you're just a decision away from deliverance. And Samson, he's about as bleak and dark and hopeless as possible. And we find him that they've put his eyes out. And only have they put his eyes out, but they've got him grinding as an animal. He's a disgrace. But Samson, we're told, he did find deliverance. He did find blessing. He does find recovery. And as a result of this last experience in Samson's life and these remaining verses, I believe this is why we find him in Hebrews chapter number 11, the great chapter of faith. And there are all kinds of commentators who are far smarter than I will ever be. And they will oftentimes talk about Samson at this part of his life as being one of a great tragedy. And, and we, we can't miss the tragic part, but they will talk about him missing um, the, the, the will of God and ending his life in disgrace and committing suicide. And, but I want to tell you, I don't quite see it that way. I see that he's made his decision and his decision has made him. And when he's at a place that was as low as he could possibly go, he recognizes something about God that he could have recognized earlier had he paid attention. He didn't. He can't change the past, but he could do something in the moment. And that is, that is he recognized his God is a delivering God. And because of the decision he made, I believe is why he's in Hebrews chapter number 11. Listen, the Bible says in verse 28, notice what it says. And Samson, you see it, verse 28, and Samson called unto the Lord. He called unto the Lord because he was putting confidence in the character of God. He knew this about God. He knew that his God was a delivering God. Psalm 18 and verse two, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverance. Psalm 34 and verse six, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And the truth is he'll do the same thing for you. The Bible says that Jesus tells us in Matthew six, we ought to pray this way. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Daniel three and verse 17, our God whom we serve, he will deliver us from this fiery furnace. The Bible tells us in Galatians 1 and verse 4, who hath delivered us from this present evil world. Paul asked in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And he goes on to answer that it's in Jesus Christ that that deliverance comes. 2 Peter 2 and verse 7 and the Bible says that the Lord delivered just Lot. See, our God is a delivering God. 
I love the song that reminds us just the greatest message ever sung. It's our God shall deliver thee. Our God shall deliver thee. My God shall deliver me. And we have those sin oppressed. Go to him for rest. For our God shall deliver us. He'll deliver you. He's a delivering God. But you're going to have to experience what Samson experienced at his death. In your life, tonight, Samson may have sat in a service like this. Maybe he was warned and maybe he had heard the Spirit of God who had come upon him would have spoken to him and Samson got somewhere where he ignored it. The pornography was not as big of a deal to him. The bitterness was not as big of a deal to him. The selfishness was not as a big a deal to him. But here at the end of his life, he recognizes this is a big deal. But he recognized that God still has power. There's a battle that's raging when you got saved. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. You entered into a battle. It's not primarily a physical battle. One of the problems in the Christian life in Ephesians 6 helps us understand is too often we fight the wrong enemy. We fight the wrong, you're all, we're always fighting something, but so often we fight the wrong enemy. The physical battle is only a manifestation of what is going on in the spiritual realm. And this was a battle that began long time ago when God made the first move by creating the angels. Lucifer, the anointed angel, he responded negatively to that move and he rebelled against God, taking one third of the angels with him. God countered that move by creating man a little lower than the angels in his own image. Satan rebelled against that move by enticing Adam and Eve to sin and turning the earth over to his control. God then countered Satan's move by providing a redemptive covering for Adam and Eve so they can once again return back to fellowship with God. And Satan, he made his next move by inciting Cain to kill Abel to cut off the godly line. God responded to Satan's move through the birth of Seth. And the Bible says that once again, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Satan countered that move by luring Nimrod at the Tower of Babel into thinking he could make himself into, uh, uh, into such a stronghold and power that he and his people could go as high as the heavens. For God's next move, he called Abraham, calling out a nation through him to be holy and set apart. Satan, however, countered that move by trapping the entire nation of God's people in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule. Then God grabbed Moses and Midian and he placed him in a position to knock Pharaoh off and wipe him out of the equation altogether. And throughout the remainder of the Old Testament, you find God moving Satan counter moves and God moving and Satan counter moves. And then you come to a point at the end of the Old Testament where 400 years of silence as far as record is concerned of no move that is being recorded for us. And when the New Testament opens up, we see that God reaches back down for a very special piece, his son, Jesus Christ. And he moves him into a new location from heaven to earth. And Satan attempts to counter God's move by tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus overcomes this move through the power of the word of God. So then Satan tries to do what he thinks is going to be the checkmate at the cross. By orchestrating the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But Satan miscalculated something very important because he didn't realize that the death on the cross was not a checkmate move. In fact, it was just a setup for the final move that God would make to checkmate Satan by raising Jesus from the dead. All that accomplishment of the cross through the resurrection of Christ was God's final move and it's offered each and every one of us victory over an enemy who is seeking to intimidate 
to deceive and to destroy us. Listen, the ultimate winner of this game, it's already been decided. Victory has been secured. While you and I are here on earth still in play, we need to live in light of the truth of the victory gained through that final move in Christ dying and being buried and resurrected. Because of that decisive move by God, Satan no longer has authority over you to defeat you. That means the only way you can be destroyed, the only way you can be defeated is if you give in and make the decision to yield to the defeated one, just like Samson. Let me remind you of this. Satan is after you. You know it. Satan is after you. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, be sober, be vigilant. In other words, pay attention. Be alert. Be alert. Pay attention. One of the great things about Satan, he's been at this for many, 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 many centuries. He understands man inside and out. And if you ever detect Satan, it's not because you and I are smart enough to do so. It's only because God has exposed and has given us some light. Satan is such a liar. He is so masterful in his deceit and he's so tricky. And because you and I do not have the powerful ability to see Satan and his movement and his work, we can't see the battle that exists in the spiritual realm. We cannot. We only see the manifestation of it coming out in the physical. And so because you and I can't see that, God has given us some very precious tools. I'm deviating from the message in a moment. The outline we'll get to in just, the outline is very short. The introduction is very long. Because we can't see the deceptive work of Satan who is trying to destroy you, he's not trying to befriend you, he's not trying to be your buddy, he is not the cool kid in class that just wants some people to hang around, he is out to destroy your life. Why didn't he just knock me off? Because he's not just coming after you through your addictions, through your strongholds, through your desires, through your pornography, through your discouragement, through your anger, through your, your uh, uh, insecurity. He's not just coming at you and you alone and getting you as an individual. Oh, that's, he'll, he'll take that. But he's after something more. He's after your family. And getting in after your family, he's trying to get after your kids because whoever controls the family controls the future. If he can get after you, he can get after the family. And if he can neutralize the family, then he has a lot better job at affecting the church. I'm not the pillar and ground of truth. I could memorize the Bible and I'm not the pillar and ground of truth. Your family is not. And so to have home church... It's not the pillar and ground of, church, of truth. It's the local church. I hate even saying the word local church. That's the only kind of church there is. Local church is like saying, can I have some wet water? That's all there is. It's a, it's a, it's a local, it's a New Testament, it's a Bible truth all throughout the, the New Testament. Their local churches started with Jesus Christ. And, and, and we find that Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell, the gates, the authority of hell shall not prevail against it. Why? Because he's saying the church is on the offense. We're not on the defense. But Satan is trying to get into individual lives and individual lives so that he can get into your family. He can control the next generation and so that he can get into the church. And one of the ways, because he knows he cannot overthrow the church, the Bible never says the gates of hell shall not prevail against you, sir or your family, or your children, or your grandchildren. The Bible just simply says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the authority of the church. The authority of Satan can never prevail against the authority of the church. He didn't say that he, he can't prevail against you. He can destroy you. He just can't take your soul. He can't damn your soul if you're a child of God. But he can destroy you. 
That's why he says, that's why the Bible emphasizes three things everybody needs. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ yourself. I can't get saved for you and I can pray for you to get saved, but my prayers will never save you, only Jesus will. Everybody needs a personal relationship with the, with the Lord Jesus themselves. Number two, everybody needs a church family. The devil's coming after you, not me. He doesn't know me. Oh, he knows you. Anything that he can get his hand on and get his finger on to get in. And, 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 and a lot of times people have this. I'm not going to do Satan. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to do this. Look at these weird people worshiping Satan. Satan doesn't care if you give him credit. All he wants you to do is do your own thing. We sing in the invitation, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. But a lot of times what we really mean is, have my own way, Lord, have my own way. And Satan says, that's right. That's it. Just, 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 God knows. God knows what you really, really want. You just want to enjoy the life he's given. You say he doesn't do that. He did it with the very first human being that God created, Adam and his wife, Eve. And he's doing the same thing. You poor thing. That's why everybody needs a personal relationship with the Lord. You need a church family, number three. You need a pastor. See, he's not the priest of your home, sir. You are. But he is the pastor, the under-shepherd of the place that God said, God said the authority of hell will not overtake the authority of the pillar and ground of truth. Some of the biggest hypocrites I've ever met are men who say, my wife, she's going to listen to me. My children, they're going to obey me. I went to a seminar about the home and I learned this and I'm going to teach my family about this and they better listen to me. My name is dad. My name is, is number one. I am husband. I am, I'm the head of my house. The biggest hypocrites I have seen are men who demand and expect their wives and children to live in submission to them, but they themselves refuse to submit to the one that God says they're to submit to. I'm telling you, the devil is after you, and he says, you're exactly where I want you to be. And while you think, sir, you may never crumble like Satan, you may not, but your children and your grandchildren, they're already heading the wrong direction. See, what you do in moderation, you've heard this, your children will do it in excess. Yes, that's right. And while you say, I'm not going to listen to that pastor, he doesn't, he's not perfect. Well, nobody is. Right. Neither are you, but you want your wife and family to submit to you, and you're not perfect. And when you say, I'm not going to submit to him, don't you ever be shocked when your children or your grandchildren say, why should I even go to church at all? saying God's already made it so that you and I don't have to fall. We don't have to go the way of Samson. But what Samson experienced at the end of his life, he prayed a prayer. You can't re release and remove prayer from the equation of experiencing God. And Samson's prayer is a reminder, I don't have to pray all night. Sometimes praying all night, there's a place for that. And, and, and one of the things in prayer is, is I'm never having to twist God's arm. I'm, it's not me uh, having to get God to come over here and, and pay attention. No, reason why it takes us sometimes long time in prayer is because we're having to twist our own arm. We're having to slap our own face and get us to wake up and see we do need God. And it took Samson to get to a place where they bound him and they took his eyes out and he's grinding. He's being humiliated and he is used for the enemy and, and, and the enemy is last. He was the party and they were using him and they were singing songs to Dagon, their God. But Samson prayed a short prayer. And he found God to be right where he's always been. Amen. 
one decision away from stepping in and delivering. Would you see it with me real fast? You ready? I'll start all over if I have to. You ready? Let's look at the prayer. Notice in verse 28, he calls unto God. You know what Samson didn't do for a long time? He didn't call unto God. But here he calls unto the Lord and he says, look at it. Oh, Lord God, remember me. Oh, Lord God, remember me. Four things I see in this short prayer. His prayer is verse 28, verse 29, and verse 30. Verse 28, oh, Lord God, remember me. Oh, Lord God, remember me. There was a long period of time Satan, uh, Samson is, is, is nibbling at the bait that Satan puts out there. He's nibbling. He doesn't stop and say, oh, Lord God, remember me. What should I do in this situation? Delilah's playing with him, getting frustrated with him, messing with him. He doesn't say, oh, Lord God, remember me. But here he is. He's at one of the worst points in his life. And, but yet he recognizes, I may not have much longer quality of life to live. But this I want to experience one more time. I want to experience what it's like to be in the presence of God. And we heard on Sunday, there's a difference between the omnipresence of God. God was right there all the time. He says, but what I want is the manifest presence of God. And he prayed, oh, Lord, God, remember me. It's what I call number one, an attitude of repentance. An attitude of repentance. In other words, what is repentance? Well, ultimately, he changed his mind. He it, it, the, the word is literally change your mind. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to change our thinking. Casting down, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need some repenting. We need some mind-changing, paradigm shift. We're thinking this way. We're thinking, I'm pretty good. We're thinking... Nobody can help me. What we need to do is change our mind and say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh God, standing in the need of prayer. Oh God, remember me. Change your mind about who you are. You're not indestructible. Holy God is. You are not the overcomer in and of yourself. It's Christ that lives in me. We're to be dependent upon him. We are more than conquerors through him. Samson was the strongest man who ever lived. But he forgot that it wasn't him. It wasn't his hair. It was God. But at the invitation, at the final moment, the last verse was sung, and Samson said, oh, Lord God, remember me? I'm telling you, when you change your mind and you recognize I'm sick of this sin, I'm tired of this sin, I don't want my sin, Repentance. What happens after he says, oh, Lord God, remember me? Notice the next thing that he prays. Oh, Lord God, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen me. And strengthen me. Why? Do you see the irony here? The strongest man who ever lived is praying, God, strengthen me. See, we think we're pretty strong. You don't pay attention to the preaching because I don't really have any problems. Neither did Samson even violating God's word. At least he didn't think it. 
But when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it always brings forth death. Hear me. You make your decisions. Your decisions will make you. A couple sat in my office. I want to be careful in case they're even watching tonight. But it's the truth. They got offended. Let me remind you. Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. And the married couple sat there and the young man had even quoted to me the verse earlier in the week. Preacher, I know. The Bible says, great peace of they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. And I don't want to be so easily offended. But it doesn't change the fact you hurt my feelings. And I did. I hurt their feelings. There were some things I said that needed to be said. But it stung. Could I have said it better? I can't. I'm always, always trying to analyze. What can I say better? What can I do different? What could I, how, how could I? And I recognize, I recognize. I heard their feelings. But their feelings were so hurt. And they sat on my couch on a Saturday. Both have responsibilities, teaching, leading, involved in the lives of young people. And they said, we resign effective immediately. And we're leaving church. And I looked at both of them and I said, are you willing to cross over that line, that threshold, where you are willing to make your decision and leave the umbrella of God's protection and in God's place of trusting and obeying and make your decision knowing that you make your decision, your decision will then make you. I looked at them both and I asked them both separately and they said, we are. You cannot afford to get offended. I didn't say you don't have justification for being offended. You just can't afford it. You cannot afford to remove yourself from the place of God's protection. You cannot afford it. Do you know that there are people who are actually offended at God? And I know God didn't do anything wrong. There are people who have said, God, why did you do this to me? God, why did you allow this? They get offended at God. Preacher, why would he do this? I don't know. But you can't afford to get offended at God. And all the while, Satan is whispering in your ear, oh, if he loved you, he wouldn't have let you go through this. If God loved you, he wouldn't put you through this. If God loved you, he wouldn't allow this. Why are you working so hard for God who will never repay? You can listen to his lies all you want to. But I want to tell you this, nobody in here, nobody including me, none of us can see through this ceiling. You cannot see through these walls. You do not understand, neither do I, all the things that God is thinking and doing. But here's what I do know about the whole situation. He's God and you're not. And my God is good. And God loves you. Maybe no one in your life has ever loved you. But God loves you. 
In fact, he's crazy about you. The love he has for you, it's a crazy kind of love. He lavishly loves you. You can't afford to be offended. You can't afford to be offended with your pastor. You can't afford to be offended with your parents. They may have done you wrong. You've heard me say before, my dad walked out when I was five. I've never seen or heard from my dad. All I know, he's probably not even alive. I don't know. Someone asked, how do you keep from getting bitter? Easy. For me. I just remember that my dad did nothing to me nor anyone else did anything to me that's worse than what I did to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that God for Christ's sake hath forgiven me. So therefore I can be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven me. Oh God. Oh Lord God, remember me. But then he says, strengthen me. Number two, I think here's what Samson is saying. Number two, when he prays and strengthen me, He's saying, I can't, I can't do it. I can't. The strongest man who ever lived, he's saying, I can't. Samson was the one that they always called, Samson, come over and help us. And Samson would come over while eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and he'd wipe out an entire army. And here's Samson. He says, I can't, I, can't even, I can't even feel God anymore. And he says, God, would you strengthen me? I don't read him praying that ever. He's saying, I can't, I can't do it. I've heard some people say, I don't think I can get saved because I don't think I can live it. To which I'm so excited to inform them. Of course you can't. He never said you could. He can't. Oh, but God will. You can't. You can't do it. He never expects you to do it. Why don't I have to do all these things? Because it's part of the whole dynamic of depending upon him. In order for Peter to walk on water... By the way, Peter couldn't walk on water. It took God enabling Peter to walk on water. But here's a a big theological truth. In order for Peter to walk on water, he had to step out of the boat. There's a lot of things we do. There's a lot of things we have to do when it comes to what we dress, how we dress, what we watch, what we listen to, how we act. There's a lot of things. You say, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about this? Because you're never going to get to the walking on water place until you're willing to say, you know, stepping out of the boat, I don't think it's a big deal. You know, show me chapter and verse wherever I have to step out of a boat. Where do you get that? I never heard Jesus preach about stepping out of a boat. Well, you're not going to get to walk on water until you step out of the boat. And we start saying, why do we got to do all these things? Well, it's because it's all about us depending upon whatever God wants us to do. But what we've got to realize is what Samson had to realize is it's not because I'm Samson. It's because he's God. Oh, Lord, God, remember me and strengthen me. Samson learned at the end what he should have known all along. It's not because Samson, he was just some powerhouse for God. It was because God had just been good to him. Lord God, remember me and strengthen me. And notice what he says here, and this is somewhat controversial with the commentaries. and, and, um, And then you know what I find about commentaries is that they usually don't comment on the parts that I'm looking for to comment. So I just, out of spite, I want to write a commentary and not comment on most of the sections in the, in the, in the, in the passage there. It's like, how do they get to write a commentary and not comment on it? But look at the third one. Oh, Lord God, remember me. And 
strengthen me. I can't do it. And notice this. And strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. He says this, O Lord God, remember me. That's attitude of repentance, number one. Strengthen me. He's saying, I can't do it, number two. Avenge me. And here's what he's saying here, number three. Lord, I can't do it, but you can. You can do it. You can do it. See, some will say, well, he, he's exacting revenge. This is very selfish. Lord, would you avenge me for my eyes? But I, I really think what he's saying, because again, I have to take into context that Samson wound up in Hebrews chapter 11 because of his faith in God. And I think what he's saying here is, God, for my eyes, I, I got what I deserve. But remember what God called him to do? To deliver his people from the Philistines. And he's saying, Lord, would you remember me? You're right, I'm wrong. God, would you strengthen me? Because I can't do it. Number three, God, would you avenge me? Because ultimately, you're the only one who can do it. I like what A.W. Tozer said. A.W. Tozer said, my philosophy is this. I think everything's a mess. Until God gets in on it. That's what Samson is saying. God, would you, would you just, would you show up? Are you tired of the mess that you've created? Why don't you just ask God to get into it? Don't leave God out of the equation. And then notice, he prayed one more aspect. Drop down a couple verses and he says, let me die with the Philistines. Let me die with the Philistines. Now, here's where some say this is, this is selfish. He's committing suicide. But that's not what I see here. I see that he recognizes he has a, a revived spirit that says, I can't do anything. But I'm telling you, when you turn to God in repentance, oh, Lord God, remember me. I can't do it, but you can. You find when all hope is gone, God is right there one decision away. And God revives in him the desire, oh, to be used by Jesus. Oh, God, use me one more time. And he had such a desire and he recognized where he was and what's happening. He has to depend upon people and this little boy to help him. And he just says, oh God, let me die with the Philistines. And here's, here's what, he's, here's what I, I get out of this. He's not saying, I'm so depressed, just kill me. No, no, here's what he's saying. You want God to step into the scene. You want God to deliver you. He says this. I'm all in. I'm all in. You can't be more all in than, than this. Samson says, I have one go at this. I'm all in. Here's what I find in Sam. When I'm reading Samson's life, I see Samson dabbling. He's dabbling with the things of God and he's aggressive for the glory of God. And then some girl walks by and he gets his mind off of what he was supposed to be doing. He's just dabbling all the time. He, he, he just, hey, Samson, we need you. All right, I'm coming. Whoa, look at this over here. I like to try some of this, honey. I like to try, I like to, whoa, hey, I'll be there in just a second. But here he's just saying, God, I'm all in. You know why some of you maybe haven't been able to get out of that stronghold? And you, you've just, you just agreed with Satan. You're a loser. You're so sorry. No, no. He's the loser. He's the liar. Jesus is victorious over sin, death, and hell. Amen. You don't have to listen to Satan. You can cry out to God, oh, Lord, God, remember me. I can't do this. Strengthen me. Avenge me. Lord, you can do it. Get into the mess of my life and 
I'm all in. I'm all in. In other words, if you're saved, but you're not a member of a church, you're not right with God. You're just not right with God. That's not God's plan. Nowhere did Jesus say, do you want to just go to heaven? Well, then pray this prayer so you can take your ticket and go to heaven. No, he saved you so that you would follow him and he's the head of the church and the church is his body and he wants you to follow him. How do you follow him? By following him. All in. Stop dabbling. Well, I'm gonna, I'll give a little bit here, give a little bit. No, that's why there's weekly giving. That's why there is missions. That's why there's other areas. Get all in. I don't know where to start. Get in, get into the office. Ask pastor, lay it out, draw it out. Draw me some pictures if he has to. Figure out how to get all in. God loves you. Christ died for you was buried, resurrected for you. But it's your decision. Let me mention this and we're done. You want longer. In an art gallery in Europe hangs a picture. It's a painting called Checkmate. On one side of a chessboard sits the devil full of laughter. I've seen the picture. His hand is poised, ready to make the next move. On the other side of the chessboard sits a, a young man. He's shaking, he's frightened. Sweat covers his forehead, it's dripping down, mixing with the solitary tear that's on his cheek. The game is obviously drawing to a close and the winner appears to have already been decided. And then that's the picture. But one day, a chess champion from a far-off country visited this gallery. Naturally, the painting caught his eye and his attention, and it invited him to examine it for a very long time. And the thought behind the painting is, whoever wins the painting, or whoever wins the chess match, is the one who would be the winner of the soul of that man. And so this chess champion is studying this. While others had moved on throughout the gallery, the chess champion remained fixated on this game and especially on the devil. He was sitting eagerly waiting for his next turn in which he planned to steal the man's soul through checkmate. Minutes turned into hours as the chess champion studied the board from every possible angle. The sweat on the young man's forehead urged him to continue. And finally, as the gallery was about to close, the chess champion found the proprietor of the gallery. And he asked him, sir, would you happen to have a chess board here by any chance? After looking around in several of the offices, the man located a chess board, brought it to the chess champion. The chess champion laid the board out in the, at the base of the painting precisely as it was in the painting. He had a move and then countered that move in the only way that the devil could to avoid checkmate. He then made another move and countered it again, knowing that the devil would have to defend himself in the next move as well. And the chess champion did this several more times, putting the devil on the defensive each and every time. And so he's trying to play this out and he's trying to figure something's just puzzling him. And then eventually... A loud yell was heard throughout the gallery as the chess champion crowded in relief. I did it! I did it! I did it! Turning to the painting, the chess champion lowered his voice and said, Young man, your enemy miscalculated a very important move. I uncovered it. And as a result, you don't have to lose. You win. The chess champion had discovered a way not only for the young man to escape, but also to checkmate the devil himself. 
Listen, tonight, chances are some of you may have felt like the man in the painting. On the outside in this air-conditioned room, you're doing fine. But on the inside, perhaps fear or anxiety has crept in. And you imagine the devil preparing to make the final move in your personal life, in your marriage, in your home, in your health, in your career, in your finances, or a number of other areas of the arena of your life. Satan's confident laughter and swift moves have tricked you and have uh, paralyzed you. He's running the show. He's calling the shots. He's been toying with your emotions. But the truth is, he's miscalculated. And you don't have to be checkmate tonight. If you would cry out simple prayer, count the words. It's very short. Oh God, remember me. Change your mind about the matter. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. I can't do it. You can. I'm all in. Let's stand together, please. Lord, I don't want my life to be put on display like Samson, but I'm thankful you put Samson there for us to take a look at. And what he did in his death, if we'll do it here on this Monday night, we can see you get into our life. If we lived in this prayer, we can live in the reality of your deliverance. Help us, I pray. Help us. Don't pass us by tonight. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Folks are still coming to the altar. Altar's open if you want to come and pray. Sometimes it's good to just leave your comfort zone. Surround yourself with others that are in a similar situation, calling out to God. Some of you have never been to the altar. If you need help finding it, I'll help you get down here. That's right. You ought to come to the altar tonight just because you still can. Yes, that's right. That's good. You say, I don't really have anything to pray about. Come down here and pray for me. Yes, amen. Pray for all these people that are down here praying, that responded yes. to the message. 